Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello, this is FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. My name is Lance Lander. I'm the Secretary General of FEPS, and I have the pleasure today to meet in Berlin Dr. Stefan Angenind, who is a member of the FEPS Progressive Migration Group, but more importantly, a senior fellow in Berlin of the German Institute for International and Security Affairs, as many of you probably know, SWP. Dr. Angenind, you have a longer term overview because you started to work on migration over three decades ago. Uh, how do you see the evolution of this debate, uh, but also the policies in the German context and international one, because you have also been working with many international organizations? Yeah, let me start with a change. Uh, I think in the 1980s, uh, still, Germany was a, a really reluctant country of immigration. And the wording was at that time, Deutschland ist kein Einwanderungsland. Germany is no country of immigration. Despite all empirical counter evidence and uh, despite, uh, and in a complete, let's say, ahistorical way to interpret German history, Germany had a long and, and uninterrupted uh, migration history from the 19th century when the first workers for the coal mines were uh, recruited. Then during the Weimar Republic in the 1920s, when also labor demand was large, through the Nazi time, of course, um, and also then through the post-war area and uh, the reconstruction area of the 1950s. But public awareness in the 1980s was still that migration started with the guest worker recruitment in mm -hmm. the mid-1950s, despite migrants had been recruited for nearly 100 years at that time. So I think migration has, in, in all these, these periods, profoundly changed a German society. But nevertheless, there was in the 1980s this perception of being no immigration country. And then when I started to, to study uh, political science, uh, François Mitterrand, came to power in France mm. with his socialist government. And he had a reform agenda at that time, and he proposed to, to develop, uh, he, he said France has already become la France tricolore, France uh, was seen as a multicultural society, and so on. And it should be, was to be promoted by, by government, this, mm -hmm. this perception. And at that time, that was such a stark con contrast to the per perception in Germany of mm -hmm. being no country of immigration that I became mm -hmm. interested in studying um, migration uh, migration affairs. Actually, so that was the, a stark point. That, that's a very interesting comparison between uh, France and Germany because I remember the late 1990s when France actually won the Football World Cup. And some uh, people like Daniel Combendit uh, attributed it, this to the more multicultural approach of France to also football, as opposed to Germany at that time. Yeah, important differences and quite thrilling as really a challenge, also a research challenge, because mm -hmm. migration research at that time was not developed as it is today, mm -hmm. which is also a consequence of, of our migration history. Now to make the circle, I think Germany has really opened up since mm -hmm. the 1980s. 
has become that it has a migration history and over time also migration topics have profoundly changed. Uh, we had initially this debate on integration of guest workers that mm -hmm. was in the 1970s and uh, we had, as you remember, uh, 1973 a recruitment stop for guest workers due mm -hmm. to the economic crisis at, in these mm -hmm. years. And then the whole debate was on how to integrate those who are there because mm -hmm. they did not return as supposed by the um, by the Anwerbestopp, by the recruitment stop, but mm -hmm. decided to stay, yes. knowing that they would never have a chance to return to Germany mm -hmm. if they would leave Germany. So that was a counter counter intended effect uh, at that time. And the policy debate and the research also was on the integration of guest workers. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1990s, we had this massive inflow of, of refugees after the, the wars in, in former Yugoslavia mm -hmm. and uh, debate, heated debate on asylum policy and uh, the German constitution, which had then was done in 1993, uh, restricted the right to asylum. So heated debates on asylum policy. We had a wave of racism and anti-foreigner attacks at that time with burning mm -hmm. asylum homes and, and so on. Really a dark chapter in post-war history. And we have now again a change because we have now a kind of parallel debate between of two topics. The first is is our labor shortages mm -hmm. and the need of massively investing in labor recruitment on the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, the increasing number of refugees, mm -hmm. uh, especially after the, the Ukrainian war. Now. Mm -hmm. So this is how the political debates shifted mm -hmm. in, in these and there are clear periods uh, of this. Mm -hmm. Would you say that uh, as the migration profile of the country started to change, the policy debate broadened up from a narrowly economic one to also more social and political? Yes, of course, because the first debates I remember were purely on the, the economic sense of labor migration. And as I mentioned, we had in, in 1969, mm -hmm. 1970, we had an economic crisis, and then there was a, a huge debate and dominated by economists uh, mm -hmm. on does it make sense to import labor or not? And this has completely changed. Mm -hmm. And with the integration debate in the 1980s, all these, these issues of what has changed in society due to immigration and what is necessary to, mm -hmm. to support because schooling and all housing and all these issues, healthcare came up in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. Germany opened up in decades and, and um, has become has really become, and under Chancellor Merkel, it, it was really forward. Germany has become a country of immigration. Now, as you mentioned, Chancellor Merkel, 2015 is clearly a turning point. As you explained, there was obviously a long history of immigration also before, but I think European societies experienced the 2015 refugee inflow as a crisis which also changed the broader European discourse and the opinions are probably still polarized between, you know, some people saying this has been a success because uh, we got Willkommenskultur and much more openness and integration. On the other hand, many other people being critical about the many failures starting from Lampedusa and other uh, similar situations when dozens, sometimes hundreds died unnecessarily on the sea um, without being able to reach the European shores. How do you draw the balance? 
You are absolutely right. 2015-2016 was a, a decisive moment in German post-war history. And you as you remember, we initially in 2015 had, let's say, a broad acceptance of those who came as refugees. And uh, there was a lot of help um, organized by civil society and so on. You, you remember all these things. And it was really backed by strongly by the Merkel government and they pushed also public opinion in this in this direction. One lesson we can learn, policy makes a difference, how, how policy approaches these challenges. And her famous speech was, or saying was, wir schaffen das. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can do it. And I think that's really, that really changed public, uh, or at least influenced public perception. But on the other hand, also then with rising numbers, it became clear that there are several challenges, public support decreased uh, due to housing problems, schooling problems, and so on. And Merkel had, had really difficult to find support. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is still transferred to German politics today. There is a, a cleavage also in the CDU, in the mm -hmm. Christian Democratic Union, between those who are pro-Merkel and those who are against Merkel. Mm -hmm. And there's still a, a, a deep cleavage in the, in the party. So at the be beginning, I would say um, many, many supported this, what you call Willkommenskultur. Um, but there was also, at that time, right at the beginning, strong resistance from at least a part of German society. Mm -hmm. And over time, this reluctancy was exploited or perhaps also reinforced by populists, mm -hmm. pointing to the, to the challenges and the points that are not okay and not working and so on. And that led to the rise of the right-wing populist party AfD, mm -hmm. uh, Alternative für Deutschland. And, uh, they had existed before, they had existed before, but since then they mainly focused on migration, right? Yeah, that's right. We, uh, so that was the main reason why they became so, so strong. And the recent polls indicate that they are at 20%, which is mm -hmm. incredible for Germany. We had never mm -hmm. had a, a right-wing extremist party, these figures, and that make politicians of the other parties really nervous, which at also a little bit explains the recent support of German government for uh, for the Gias, uh, CS reform mm -hmm. and so on. I think assessment in, in German politics and, and policy was split, but I think there, there was some, at least some confidence in German policy and ability to act in contrast, and that is important for, for our context, in contrast to EU policies. Right. So there was really, really weak trust in public, in German public, in the EU Commission, in the ability of the European asylum system and, mm -hmm. and so on. But so was there, it not obvious from the start that the real solution to this crisis can only be European? Because the burden sharing has to be European. And basically two types of countries came under pressure. One was the so-called destination countries like Germany and Sweden. And then uh, the entry countries, which is basically Greece, Italy, Hungary, depending on, uh, you know, people arriving on sea or uh, on land. Yeah. I mean, the story, uh, the history goes, goes a little bit back into the, into the 1990s because at that time Germany was the country that really pressed for the Dublin system. Yes. Because at that time, one has to remember, because it's so, so interesting from our perspective today, at that time, Germany had uh, many, many asylum seekers from former Yugoslavia. As a country of entry. 
because the before the membership of uh, Austria and Poland, you, Germany was the country of entry. Asylum seekers uh, uh-huh. came to Germany, and not as a external border EU countries, mm-hmm. and that was the reason why the, the external border countries uh, supported this idea of Dublin, because at that time they had hardly any asylum seekers. I exaggerate a little bit, but that's the line. So Germany was the one with many uh-huh. refugees, the external border countries, not, and that was that made it easy for them to accept the Dublin regulation, which would be from a today perspective against their own interests. Yes. So, but that that has completely changed now. The flows go directly to the external border countries. And everybody in, in Germany knows that the Dublin system is has not worked, or it's not still mm-hmm. is, is not working anymore, and especially that there is no solidarity between EU member states. Why is it so hard? Is it because of migration itself, or is it because this is part of a broader economic, cultural, social question? What makes it so difficult? Because in principle, the formula would not be so complicated. The difficulty is that the interests of the member states are so different. And that depends on the, let's say, on the structure of immigration. I mean, we had countries with, or let's say before the Ukrainian war, we had countries with hardly any immigrants, like mm-hmm. Poland or some, some other Eastern European countries with immigration rates or immigration share in the population between one and two percent. And we had on the others, on the other hand, uh, countries like, like Luxembourg with 35 or I mm. don't know how much percent. So this is different. The structure of the immigration is uh, different. Mm. Uh, in some countries you have more asylum, more asylum seekers and others you have more economic migrants. Some European countries are countries of emigration. Indeed. Um, like uh, Poland was for many years Romania, for Germany, Romania, Romania still. And some countries are pure countries of immigration, and some are both. I mean, th- there's so huge different uh, differences in, in national interests that it is hardly un- unbelievable that that uh, a common policy would be would be possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main reason. And immigration history plays a role, whether you have colonial ties or not like France or, or, or Spain and uh, a certain structure of immigration stemming from these colonial ties. EU countries mm-hmm. are so diverse mm-hmm. uh, with regard to, to migration and that has been overlooked for, for many years, I mm-hmm. think. Ironically, of course, all European countries are faced with the same let's say, macro, uh, macro challenges, mm-hmm. uh, long-term, long-term challenges. All EU countries are in demographic terms um, shrinking and uh, and aging, mm-hmm. and especially the Eastern European countries. Yes. So they should have uh, an interest in uh, opening up for migration. Paradoxically, some of these shrinking societies are the most opposed to immigration, yeah. like Hungary, yeah. for example. Yeah, of course. And then there are questions of national identity and uh, uh, what constitutes that national identity is that, like Hungary is something... Uh, special or is it and also historical experiences yeah. how long have you been exposed to immigration mm-hmm. pressures and to immigration um, that all plays a role but um, in the end interests are, are really dif- highly different in, mm-hmm. in between the member states and that makes it so difficult mm-hmm. to, and of course we should not forget geographical exposure yes i mean that that makes obviously now a big difference border countries are uh, those who, who suffer most uh, can i ask you about uh, the pandemic because the pandemic obviously had a great effect on migration it basically brought it into a halt at least for a while 2020 and a short period afterwards is it going to 
to be seen as an episode which will be, you know, forgotten and washed out? Or does it have some kind of lasting legacy or lessons regarding migration? Yeah, I, I think also the, the pandemic was a kind of, of turning point in some regard. I think at that time in, in 19, 2019, 2020, when the pandemic came up, there was no no good alternative to closing borders because that was something new mm -hmm. the first really mega pandemic and uh, we had no experience before how to cope with this type of, of mega challenge and um, at that time it was also unclear how dangerous the virus could be you remember the, the scenes from from northern italy with with all these uh, companies yes. there and so and there was fear but uh, at that so at that time i think there was no no good alternative or at least nobody had a good good idea how to could be what could replace uh, border cl uh, closings and mobility restrictions yes I, i would say that was the right decision at that time But meanwhile, um, I think we we have a more nuanced picture of the of the pandemic risks, and we have refined our options, other options than simply blocking uh, internal uh, international mobility, as for example is used in in China. Mm -hmm. So we have different options, and there are some lessons learned, I think. And the first lesson is that as the immense costs of a kind of lockdown or the mm -hmm. pandemic uh, generally economically and socially, um, especially with, with regard to international mobility. Now we have some some figures on the repercussions of the pandemic on remittances mm -hmm. sent back in the countries of origin and a lot of, of other information that mm -hmm. makes clear how, how immense all these costs uh, mm -hmm. have been. And especially for migrants and refugees. And migrants were cut off opportunities um, for income generation, um, uh, refugees from protection, and so on. I think the second lesson learned is uh, of the pandemic is that these costs of immobilization must be somehow perceived more strongly. And that, that there must be more solidarity also with countries uh, with other countries affected than the European ones. We had this debate uh, concerning vaccines and uh, distribution of, uh, of medical equipment and so on. So, and I think that is a lesson that it is not possible just to fight a pandemic within national borders but you need international so. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the third lesson learned is that we, that we need something like a new international verification system, a right. new international system for global mobility. Because global mo mobility can easily, that is what we learned, can easily be interrupted with immense costs. We have now still a kind of, of splitted mobility system. We have high mobi international mobility for for people from uh, industrialized countries, mm -hmm. and we have low mobility um, opportunities for for the rest of the world. That must be changed because at least I'm convinced that migration and international mobility is a strong economic power mm -hmm. if it is well regulated and documented, of course. But we have no, let's say, international trust system for verification of mm -hmm. visa and of some other types. And that is something we, that is a construction site and we have to approach it. And perhaps that's also a lesson from the pandemic. It's a little bit far away, but I think it will become more and more important in future. Um, as you mentioned, the diverse experience of different countries at the time of 
the pandemic and also otherwise, the migration group um, organized by FEPS is bringing together Europeans with Africans. I think everybody is convinced, uh, at least those participating in this, that you know, a better policy can only emerge if there is a dialogue. But how would you specify the potential benefits of um, an exchange between um, you know, people, experts in different continents, uh, which can contribute to the improvement of um, European policies? I think the, the importance of, of, a di of dialogue, especially with, with Africa, cannot be uh, overestimated. I, I think I'm deeply convinced that any progressive policy cannot be based only on a European perspective. That is impossible. The reason is that I would say that is one of the, this European perspective is one of the reasons why European politics have not been more successful in the past. Uh, Just to mention uh, all the, the, the commission ideas of mobility partnerships or migration partnerships, uh, are all not, not, not new ideas. Uh, we discussed it for at 20 years or so, mm -hmm. but uh, there was never a, a really good working uh, partnership. Mm -hmm. And for me, the reason, the main reason is that uh, these partnerships were, were designed solely from, from a European perspective mm -hmm. and that the interests of the partner countries were not really uh, taken into account. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the main reason why they just simply do not work properly. Mm -hmm. And we should learn from, from these experiences and with the new partnerships. And I think this is core to any successful migration policy, be it migration policy or asylum policy, to have partnerships mm -hmm. with countries of origin or at least with transit countries on, and so on. To establish such partnerships, you should listen to those who are also uh, a part of this of these agreements. And that means, uh, in this case, to, the, to, to our African colleagues. So mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely necessary. There's uh, no way to go back to this sort of European one-sided approach uh, to migration policy. It's on partnerships. That's, mm -hmm. that's the main right. message. Without partnerships, no uh, effective policies. Right. This is an absolutely essential point. I assume when experts come together to improve policy, uh, they bring together different ideas to the table. Do you have a favorite idea which you bring to the table in order to improve, um, maybe also to humanize or make more effective European migration policies? Yeah, there, I mean, there are a lot of good proposals also dis discussed now. I, I would say partnerships are, as I, as I said, are, f from my perspective, the most important thing. And the migration field, uh, for example, um, we have here also in Germany, as in other countries too, the debate on, on brain drain. So we have a, a sharply increasing need of, of uh, workers, not just high-skilled, but also low-skilled. That is new in, in the German debate, new insight in the German debate, that we also need middle-level um, middle and, and lower-qualified workers, but we need them desperately. And especially for, for skilled labor, you have immediately the debate on, on, um, on brain drain. Yes. And uh, to, to have really a, a sustainable policy, you must think about training opportunities in these countries. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the way we should, we should, we should walk, uh, to set up train facilities in these mm -hmm. countries, not just import 
skilled workers who have been trained in these countries. And then we have a debate, uh, is there a shortage in this partner country on nurses, on doctors and how to crack? No, I think that's a, the wrong way. We should set up uh, training facilities and and train, for example, nurses, but also many, many other people for working in, in our countries. And let's say the best solution would be if that would be combined with a tr additional training uh, for skilled labor for the partner country. Mm -hmm. So kind mm -hmm. of double track system. Mm -hmm. There are some ideas on the table developed by the Center for Global Development in Washington. Extremely uh, difficult to, to, to implement such proposals, but I think that's the best way because then you are, you have, you, you don't have to discuss uh, about brain drain anymore. For migrants, for refugees, um, we have this debate now on, on, uh, on the European level, on the, on the reform of the common uh, European asylum system. Personally, I think that's uh, not, that was not really, or that's not a perfect approach. To, let's put it this way, the, the Commission presented because mm -hmm. there's so many, dangerous difficulties in, in uncertainties involved uh, that it will especially the relocation scheme mm -hmm. will not work mm -hmm. it will simply not work not enough uh, places and so on but um, generally also here for refugees partnerships are important uh, with also with with transit countries and with countries of origin There's fighting of root causes is important, of course. It's all difficult, I know. I was member of the German government's commission on, on fighting root causes of displacement. Mm -hmm. uh, we perfectly know how, how difficult it is to implement uh, policies uh, that could reduce the uh, number of refugees. But nevertheless, you, you, you have to do it. And mm -hmm. uh, you have to find a combination of 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 um, of these policies with uh, policies fighting root causes mm -hmm. for refugees so there are many many proposals but all proposals are on cooperation on international exchange mm -hmm. and there is no really good proposal referring um, to uh, national policies Right. Um, my final question would be a little bit more political because we are approaching the European Parliament elections, which will take place next year. And uh, the expectation is that uh, some of the political forces, especially on the right, are in, in, inclined to take advantage of uh, you know, prejudice and xenophobia, which always um, uh, penetrates uh, the discussion on migration. Uh, would you have any advice for the progressive forces uh, for this period and the difficult debates ahead? Yeah, just two, two, two points. The first is very clearly uh, advocate uh, human rights orientation in, uh, in migration politics that uh, relates to migration, as a, to migrants, but also to refugees, of course. Mm -hmm and combine that with partnerships and international cooperation. That's mm -hmm. the first point. And the point, second point is, is really simple. Look for pragmatic uh, solutions. Mm -hmm. But th that is, uh, these are the best arguments against populists. Mm -hmm. are finding, presenting that, that policy can make a difference and do, do not ignore difficulties. That is perhaps also important mm -hmm. and also a lesson of 2015-16 in Germany. Do not ignore differences. Um, people are not stupid. They see what what is not really what what is not working. Mm -hmm. So, but try to to approach them and find 
and find pragmatic solutions, no ideological, ideological solutions that makes it all complicated and then we have cultural wars and <laughs> whatever. Find pra pragmatic solutions. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Angenen. I think it is clear that migration is a very complicated, sometimes they say a thorny uh, issue. Germany has um, indeed a central role as a main country of destination, a country that changed its migration profile in the recent uh, decades, uh, but probably can also lead the European countries into some kind of new compromise, a mechanism, a new policy that could work uh, in a new, more human way but also to the benefit of European economy and societies, but also for the economic and social development of the countries of the origin, because that also can be an essential benefit if these partnerships work out. Yeah, let me just add one, one sentence. Um, the issue of German leadership is always difficult in Germany, <laughs> but um, no, but there are some German experiences uh, we can share with, with other countries, and so just not to repeat the same the same mistakes uh, mm -hmm. we did. Indeed, not repeating past mistakes, absolutely essential. Thank you so much for your insight, and obviously we remain in uh, close uh, touch and cooperation in order to promote the progressive migration group of FEMS. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned! Stay tuned.